0: We're concluding a six-part study of biblical characters. Hebrews 12:1 is the backdrop for this series, and it says, "Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so these men and women are, are not only these men and women are not only in heaven, they've not only finished their race, but they're actually watching you run yours. Have you ever wondered if people in heaven could see you on Earth? Well, this verse clearly says, yes. Hebrews tells us they're witnessing you run your race. They're in the stands, pom-poms in their hands, cheering you on, come on, you can make it. And I think that's why the next line of the verse says, so let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I love that thought because the Bible admits life's hard. The Bible does not say, What's wrong with you? Get your act together. No, the Bible says life is difficult. We've got to actively throw things off that are hindering us in our life races. I don't know how many people watch Major League Baseball, but anytime you go to a baseball game, even at the collegiate or maybe high school level, you'll see someone in the on-deck circle and they're swinging the bat, but they've got one of those donut weights on their bat. You know what I'm talking about? And they're doing it to strengthen their swing. But would you ever see somebody step into the batter's box up to the plate with that weight still on their back? No. And in the same way, we have to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So you got all these legends of the faith cheering you on. It wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be cool if we could pull them out of the stands and onto the track with us? If they were running alongside you, what would they say? All right. Hey, I, I've got to go back to heaven, but... I want to tell you what happened in my life so that I could helpfully, hopefully help you in yours. This week's lap of the legend is with Elisha. Not to be confused with the great Elijah. Two different people. Elisha uh, was mentored by Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet. In fact, he was one of only two men in the entire Old Testament who never tasted death. Uh, he never experienced a natural death. He goes straight to heaven in a chariot of fire and God just took him from the earth. Elijah confronted evil, he confronted the prophets of Baal, he confronted Jezebel and Ahab. He was just a mighty man, 14 recorded miracles in the Bible, in Elijah's life. He actually shows up in the New Testament when Jesus was transfigured in Matthew 17. It's just kind of a fancy way of saying that he showed up in a glorified state to a few of the disciples, and so Elijah's a pretty big deal because he shows up in that scene. Then in the book of Revelation, in in the last days during tribulation, one of the things that's going to happen is two people from heaven are going to come down, the Bible calls them the two witnesses, and most people believe, most scholars believe that Elijah's going to be one of the two witnesses. Now, it doesn't say his name, but for various reasons, we believe that he's one of the two witnesses who are going to come, and uh, all that to say, Elijah's a pretty important guy. You say, well, Pastor Reed, why aren't we talking about Elijah? Well, because Elisha, I I think, is somebody we can relate to a little bit more, and his life ended great too. You ready for this? He has recorded 28 recorded miracles, 28 in the Bible. Double what Elijah, his mentor, had, but his beginning wasn't great. In fact, he spent most of his life wondering this question Will my life ever count? Will my life ever count? Will it ever matter? Because most of his story is not greatness. Most of his story is this horrible word, waiting. He's just waiting, dreaming, nothing's happening. In fact, the Bible says Elisha spent most of his life just being a farmer, steering his oxen. He plowed the field with two oxen. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Uh, Like if that's your everyday job, Monday through Saturday, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, you're plowing and your vantage point is this, the rear end of two oxen, you know? That's just not pleasant. Because then you have the residue thereof, you know what I'm talking about? Lovely, right? And you, you get to see them make the residue, then you get to smell it all day. Wonderful. Mmm, delicious, right? I mean, that's just the worst. That's the that's the job. It's six to eight to ten to twelve hours a day. This is this is my vantage point. This is what I'm looking at. And some of you are going, that's what my life looks like, Reed. That's what it looks like. That's what it smells like too. For years and years and years, Elisha was just plowing oxen, looking at the rear ends of oxen and smelling the residue thereof. And he's coming out of the stands now, jumping onto the track and saying, man, I had no idea that even though my life would start out this way, listen, it start out this way, I would actually end up seeing God do twice as many miracles in, in my life as the person I was following, the person in which I thought was the greatest person that ever lived, Elijah. I say this because I think there are too many of us in the room that see our lives uh, in this way, we see ourselves in this way. I'm convinced most of us don't see ourselves correctly. Most of us see ourselves as what, that that's what life looks like. Doesn't matter, doesn't count. I just do the same thing Monday through Friday all the time. And that's my viewpoint, the rear ends of oxen. And it smells, it's, it's an awful life. And some of you feel like that. You feel like your job, it's just Monotonous. And I want you to know, and Elisha would want you to know, that God has greatness for you. Of course, which begs the question, well, how do you get from this vantage point to greatness with God? And here's what he would say. Jot this down if you're taking notes. He'd say, give your best wherever you are. Wherever God puts you, just give your absolute best. Because even if you're behind the behinds of oxen, And you're doing the mundane, you're doing something that's monotonous and smelly and not fun. Listen to me, God is watching you. He's watching you. God's watching how you respond to it. God's watching how you handle it. God is watching what you do with it. Elisha would say, whether you're at school or work or home, you've got to be sure to give God your best because he's watching you. In fact, let me give you three areas out of Elisha's life that we need to give our best also. Here's the first one. Give your best in obscurity and God will reward it. Let me say that again. Give your best in obscurity because God will reward it. What is obscurity? Obscurity, what that means, it means that you feel like you're not noticed by anybody, even God. I just feel like I'm just kind of going through life. But watch this part of the story. This is 1 Kings chapter 19 in the New Living Translation. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha. Now, this is the first time they meet. Okay, so Elisha admires Elijah, and all of a sudden, Elijah shows up on the scene. Elisha was plowing his field, and there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. Now, I want you to file that note away because Elisha was really, really wealthy. Nobody had 12 teams of oxen back in those days. So that probably means he came from a wealthy family and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. I gave you a beautiful picture of what that looked like a minute ago. Now, watch this. Elijah went over to him and he threw his cloak. Now, in those days, if I I took my cloak and I threw it on you, it was a sign of, hey, you're gonna come work for me. So I throw that on him. You're going to come work for me. Like we're getting ready to hire a, a worship pastor and a youth pastor, hopefully very soon. And, uh, and it'd be like us as a church throwing our cloak on them, saying we're covering you. You're coming on to work for us. So he threw his cloak across his shoulders, but check it out. Then he just walked away. He just walked away. And for 10 years, nothing happens. Like come work for me. And then he leaves. And for 10 years, nothing Elisha knows he's called. And some of you know you're called. He had dreams and a bunch of you have dreams, but you're wondering why is this taking so long? I mean, if you called me and you gave me this dream, then why is this happening? Because for 10 years, that's Elisha's life. But listen, listen, this is so important because God is watching how you handle the obscure times. God's watching you. He's watching how you do the mundane, trivial things in life. A lot of you know I was hired as youth pastor of this church in 2005, and I'm still to this day not real sure why the committee uh, chose me. Uh, I didn't have the education to do it. I didn't have uh, the uh, degree to do it. I didn't have the experience to do it. I didn't have the maturity, if I'm honest, to do it. (laughs) Not real sure. I couldn't preach my way out of a paper bag. Uh, I had no musical gifting as far as leading an instrument. or I I don't know why they hired me, but they hired me. But I remember when I took on that job, I thought I'm going to do this job to the very best of my ability. Every little piece of the job, every detail of the job. Colossians 3.17 has kind of become a life verse for me. Uh, and for our church. But it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. I just think that we should do things well. And so one of my core values, one of the core values of our church is to pursue excellence. I just think we should do things well. If we're going to do it, let's do it well, right? I don't think Jesus as a carpenter built wonky cabinets. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I just think we should do things well. We should pay attention to the details. And so I did that. And I was working at the time with our pastor Tommy, who I have a lot of admiration for. And I honestly thought I would be a youth pastor until I was 60, and I was fine with that. I said, God, you know, I I remember praying, Lord, I wanna be the best youth pastor I can be, and if I never am the main guy, I'm okay with that. I just wanna serve you. And it's about that time that God says, oh, well, that's gonna be your attitude, and then God does what God does. But there's a lesson in that, and Elisha learned that. In fact, Jesus taught it all throughout the New Testament, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at this, Jesus said, your father... Who sees what is done in say that word with me out louds in secret will reward you, and then he goes on in Matthew six to say three things that he says you should do these things in secret and do them well. So he says when you pray don't don't like you know stand up and hey everybody listen to me Lord like look at me <laughs> bust your chest out he goes no 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 pray in secret do it in private. And when you fast, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't suck in your cheeks You go, I'm fasting. Right? Don't do that. He goes, no, just fast. Don't tell anybody. Just do it in secret. And when you give, right, when that offering plate was passed a minute ago, don't go, pa-ching, come on, somebody. Y'all get some of that. No, no, that, that's not what we do. Don't let your left hand know what your right has to do it, do it all in secret. And what happens is, He said, whatever you do, not for for recognition stake, I'll I'll recognize you, I'll promote you. And Elisha would verify that. Elisha would say, I had no idea I was going to do twice the amount of miracles that Elijah did, 28 compared to 14. I did more miracles than anybody else in the Bible except for Jesus himself. I had no idea. Elisha would say this, he'd say, give your best in small things and God will give you bigger things to do. Give your best in small things and God will give you bigger things to do. You see this principle all throughout scripture. God cares about the details of your life. I'm fortunate I was taught this early in my life. My dad was a detailed person. If uh, you knew my daddy uh, and you ever saw his cars, they were immaculate. They were never not clean. They were, I mean, I, I promise he probably got out there with a toothbrush while we were sleeping at night. I mean, he always kept them clean. One of my favorite stories, uh, we had uh, an air conditioner go out on one of the cars. And so my dad, instead of going and getting a new air conditioner, we were about to go on vacation, he comes home with a new car. Uh, Made my mom furious. And you know my mother, she's like never has a mad bone in her body, but she had that day. And so she's not even talking to him. She's just so mad. You bought a car. You didn't even ask me, you know, just that kind of a thing. And we're on vacation and we didn't even get to Colorado City. We're not even... 15 minutes out of town and we had a construction patch and some red dirt went all over the car. And so at like 10.30, my mom said, I don't remember it even being open, but he drops us off at Pizza Hut. We're not even hungry. It's not even lunchtime and he has to go through the car wash to clean the car, right? I mean, he just got, he just got it and it got dirty. I gotta clean it. We can't go another mile until we clean the car. That was my dad. So I just learned that if you're gonna do something, do it well. And I, my dad taught me that and taught me to pay attention to details And Elisha would say that. In fact, look at this, 1 Kings, this is uh, later in that passage, verse 21. When Elisha returned to his oxen, okay? Two verses before, he gets the cloak thrown over him. Hey, you're coming to work for me. You're called, you're hired. See you in 10 years. But yet Elisha slaughtered his oxen. Okay, I'm gonna follow God by following this prophet. I'll kill my current job. Immediately. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast the flesh. He just went from owning lots of money and lots of oxen and having a prosperous farm to serve as Elijah's assistant. In fact, one time in the scriptures, in one passage, it says he poured water on the hands of Elijah, which would have been like the most menial of tasks. Elijah couldn't go to the sink and wash his hands for dinner. No, Elijah would come over and pour the water on his hands so that Elijah could eat. He went from this wealthy Landowner and all these oxen, and he goes, I, "I just want to serve you." God cares about the details of your life. Luke 16:10 says, "Whoever can be trusted with, say it out loud with me. Very little. Yeah, God will trust you with a whole lot more. And if you can't handle the very little, he's not going to give you a whole lot more. It's the little things that matter. Here's number three. And that is, give your best in the natural and God will do the supernatural. Give your best in the natural, and God will do the supernatural. Elisha would say, I had no idea that if I got bold and asked God for amazing things, go figure, he'd do it. Never knew that. So fast forward a little bit. Elisha has now lived those 10 years. Elijah is getting ready to go to heaven, and this is the scene where Elijah goes up in the chariot of fire. And Elisha has still never done a single miracle, not one at this point in his life. 2 Kings 2, 9 and 10 says this. Elijah and Elisha crossed, and when they got there, Elijah said to Elisha, okay, I'm getting ready to go to heaven. Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And I love this. By the way, God is asking you the same question. Hey, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Well, Lord, if you'll just... Bless this food to the nourishment of my body. Let me have a good day. How many of our prayers have just gotten so menial and, and, and they, they don't even mean anything, right? What can I do for you? God's asking. I'll tell you, Elisha went for it. He says, okay, you're asking, I want a double portion of your anointing. <laughs> I love that. You did 14, I want to do 28. Look what Elijah said. You have asked a difficult thing. And you ready for this? The rest of the story is God answered his prayer request. God did it. In fact, he said, if you see me when I'm taken from you, you're gonna get it. Like if you see this chariot of fire, if you don't see it, you're not gonna get it. But if you, if you see the chariot of fire, you're gonna get what God has asked, which, which you've asked of God. And what I love about this is all Elisha had to do was in the natural. He just had to ask. Even if you're here today, you say, I'm not even a follower of Jesus, you can still do that, just ask. Just ask in the natural, just ask, can't hurt. And let me meddle for a minute. Have you stopped asking God for big things? How many of us are insulting God with small thinking? Don't put God in a box and say, well, you can't do that. Ask him for big things and watch a big God do big things in your life. I got so fired up about this message. In the middle of my study, I just closed my computer, and I just started asking God for big things. And I just started saying, God, you've done some pretty good things, but I want big things. I want big, 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 big things. Like, we've seen 100 people that have come to faith in the last three months in this church. Uh, That's cool. We've seen uh, as many people, almost double the amount of people in six months get baptized, as we saw in all of last year. Uh, That's awesome. We saw our biggest Sunday we've ever had in the 21st century, 625 people on Easter. That was awesome. I'm like, God, I want to see double that. Can we get 1,250 people in service on one Sunday? I'd love, to, I'd love to see not just this city reached, but I'd love to see other cities reached. I'd love to see our Judea's and Samaria's reached, our Colorado City and Sweetwater and La Mesa and Post. I want, what's the worst he could say? No. Right? I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask big things. I, we, we, our, budget, our budget for this church is just shy of a million dollars. I said, God, I would love to give a million dollars away in one year. I'd love to like our budget. I love to give our whole budget away one year. Like that I, we can't do that now, but that's my prayer is that one year we give away a million dollars to local, state, national, international missions, just plant some churches and do some things and that, that this place would be a lampstand that other lampstands, other churches hear about what's happening down there in Snyder, Texas. They're giving away a million dollars. I believe that can happen. And I'm asking God, oh my like, God, you've got to do some big things cuz I'm, I'm I serve a big God. And I think so many times we limit him and we put him in a box. All he could say is no. Why not ask? I love this. This is John 14, 12 through 14. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Really? No. Actually, you'll do even greater things, he said. Greater things. How in the world? Jesus, you did amazing miracles. How's that ever going to ha- happen? Just ask me. Why wouldn't we pray for our kids in that way? I don't want my kids to be the next pastor of a church, that's a great thing. I want my kids to change the world. Why wouldn't you pray for your job in that way? Like, why wouldn't we? Why? Just ask. And if he what if he says no? If he says no, you're right back where you were when you started. It's just ask in the natural and let God do the supernatural. What if nothing happens? What if something does happen? Elisha would say, I had no idea that I would go from this obscure place by doing a few small things, and God was watching my obscurity. He was rewarding and blessing those little things. All I had to do was step out in faith and ask him for bigger things. I want a double portion of that anointing. And God gave it to me. He did 28 miracles, second only to Jesus in the Bible. As we round the final turn of this lap with uh, our last legend... Elisha is getting ready to go back into the stands, and I can almost hear myself saying, "Elisha, like, how do you dream that big? How do you think that big?" And he'd say, "Read, don't give up on dreaming. Dream big dreams for a big God." And then he'd say, "Learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. Learn how to get close to God. Why? When you get close to God, He'll speak big things in your life. He just does." My favorite story of all of the 28 miracles in Elisha's life. So the king of Israel and the king of Judah and the king of Edom all set out three kings to attack the king of Moab. Well, that was going okay until they ran out of water and you can't go very long. In fact, it's about three days before you'll start dying. So animals are dying. People are dying. It's a bad problem. And... Uh, there's, what are we going to do? And one guy pops up and say, hey, is there anybody in the whole country that hears from God? And they said, well, there's that Elisha cat. And like, well, get him. Let's get, what are we waiting on? Let's get him and see if he has some solution. Just a side note, don't ever let culture mess with you. Because I know there's a lot of crazy things that are going on in our culture and don't, don't let that influence you because I promise you there's going to be a day where culture, if you're not influenced by culture, is going to come to you because you're different they're going to say, give me some answers, which is what happens here. Trust me on that. And when they don't, don't be ugly about it. I know you'd come call it. No, don't just serve them. How can I help you? Right? So that's what happened. They come to Elisha and he goes, I thought you might be back. Right? <laughs> Comes and gets him. You need the man of God now, don't you? And he says, what do you need? They said, so we need water. We haven't had water. We need water. We're all dying. Then watch what he says. This is 2 Kings 3.15. This is so cool. He said, you need water? Okay, bring me a harpist. No, we need water. (laughs) Yeah, but I gotta have worship music in my life in order to help you. So he goes out and he gets the Kim Gorman of that day and he says, bring her in here, let's go, right? And, And starts worshiping. Worship, worship on that. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. He said, what's that all about? I'll tell you what it's about. Elisha knew that he had no hope for them until he got close to God. And the way that he got close to God was through worship. So he said, bring a harpist in here. Let's get close to God. Because when I get close to God, that's when God things start happening. You say, well, I've never heard from God, Pastor Reed. Get close to God. Like worship him. God has so much more for you than you'd ever realize, but you'll never find out until you ever get close. You see that in the New Testament. We had guys who, like Elisha, were just plowing behind the oxen. Acts 4.13 uh, 4. says they had incredible courage. Listen to this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized, watch this, they're just ordinary, unschooled men. Nothing special about these guys. They're just plowing behind some oxen. You're nobody special. Yeah, but they had one distinguishing feature that impressed these religious leaders these men had been with Jesus let me tell you what will set you apart from everybody else in your workplace if you spend time with God it'll it'll set you apart they'll go what what is up with him what kind of coffee is she on no it's not a coffee it's God I just get close to God when the world gets in trouble they're going to find people who are close to God mark my words that's why my counseling office is always full. It's because people say I've gotten too much world in me. I need to come in and get a little Jesus in me. Elisha would say, "Read, stay close to the presence of God. Keep the harpist nearby. Keep your little prayer playlist. Go and seek the Lord. I'm telling you, every great dream that God has birthed in me has happened in His presence. Every great dream." but I think Elisha would also say in keeping with the story read dreams are fine but at some, time, at some point you have to wake up from the dream and actually do something like you got to do something you can't just dream some of you are like I got a big dream well, what are you doing about it? nothing okay it's not going to work right I'm just waiting on God well God's waiting on you you got to take a step right if you got a dream God's giving you this big dream do something find something to do take a next step What do I do? Anything, anything your hands find to do, do it with all your might, the Bible says. That's what Elisha would say. He goes, yeah, after the harvest came and I knew what we were supposed to do, he said to the kings, watch this, you want some water? This is what the Lord says, go dig some ditches. Get a shovel, go dig some ditches. Now let me tell you the problem with this request is there was no rain in the forecast. They couldn't pull out their cell phone and pull up the weather app and go, oh, there's an 80% chance of precipitation in the morning. No, they had no idea. He says, go dig the ditches. Well, there's no rain. Go dig the ditches. Go do something, right? What if rain doesn't come? I don't know. Dig them anyway. Go make this valley full of ditches. Why? Dreams must go from inspiration to participation at some point. You gotta start participating in them. Hey, everybody, you gotta gotta do something. You gotta do something. Some of you are stuck right now in this whole Christian life thing. Do something. Do anything. Just get after it. Get involved. Take a step. Dig a ditch. Why, Pastor Reed? Well, faith by itself, so your belief in God by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead faith. You gotta have some action. My Christian life's pretty dead right now. Well, that's probably why. There's no action behind your faith. You gotta have some sort of action. You gotta take some steps. I'm telling you, great things start happening. Just start digging, just start digging. Well, there's no clouds in the sky, just start digging. Some of you are, are believing for a, a pregnancy in your family. Build a nursery, right? Just whatever that is, I'm just gonna believe in faith. I'm gonna get this ready. You're gonna have to get it ready when the, when the baby's on the way, so let's just get it ready, because the baby's on the way, I'm not pregnant. It doesn't matter, Like let's, let's get going. Make room for it, it's coming last verse from 2 Kings 3, verses 17 and 18. This is what the Lord says. Even though you're digging, I love this promise. This is a great promise from God. Isn't this a wonderful promise? He goes, even though you're digging, you're not gonna see anything. You will see neither wind nor rain. You're not gonna see it. Praise God, keep digging. Well, I don't see anything. You're not gonna see anything. Yet, this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and other animals will drink. And by the way, this is an easy thing for the Lord. It's an easy thing. He says, I can make it rain without a cloud in the sky. Why is it so important? For a lot of us, we get so discouraged when we don't see some signs, right? Like, We're praying for something to happen and we're not seeing the signs of that happening so we get very, very discouraged. And just because you don't see anything happening doesn't mean that God isn't working. In fact, when what you see doesn't match up with what God spoke, that's when we walk by faith and not by sight, as Hebrews tells us. We just have to say, you know what? I know you're working. I've been praying about this. I know you're moving on my behalf. I don't see the signs, but I know you. I know you're working. It's an important step. In fact, I think that'd be the last thing that Elisha would say before he jogged back into the stands. Hey, I kept telling them to dig, and there wasn't even a cloud in the sky. Hang in there. Don't base your life on the seen, but the unseen. I'll tell you a quick story. A lot of you know that when I was here uh, the first time, we did a thing called Red Letter Rock Fest, and it was so much fun. this was something that was not put on by the church necessarily, it was put on by JC and I. So it was our bank account on the line and I was a youth pastor, do the math. We, were, we, we didn't have the funds to pull this off. And so it started with a vision, it started with just something that God birthed in me. It was one of those dreams in the presence of God. He said, throw a festival to reach people for Jesus. And so I said, okay, but I like, I don't have the financial capacity to pull this off, so I need you to intervene in a big way. And I mean, just as clear as I'm talking to you, he said, I'll take care of it. It wasn't audible, but I just knew, he said, I got you." So the first year, anytime you do something for the first time, you have to build it, right? It doesn't just happen automatically. And so we put on this festival and, and the first year, it wasn't as expensive as it ultimately got, but I think we spent about $150,000, which is a massive amount of money. Um, And we booked all these bands and and sound and production and all of these different things. And we went around, I tried to do my, my due diligence. When I was off at the church, I was going out and visiting businesses. Many of you supported us and said, hey, would you be a sponsor of this thing? Sure, sure, and we raised a lot of sponsorships. And I tried to be conservative with my numbers and say, if we sell this many tickets, then we'll be okay. If we sell this many tickets, then we'll be in the black and we can do this again next year. Well, the first year, it just wasn't as big. We ended up selling out the Coliseum years later, but it just wasn't very big. It was big, 1,000 plus, but it just wasn't as big as we needed it to be. And so we're in a hole. My sister Julie was my accountability partner financially, and so I went to her house, I believe, on a Tuesday. The concert was on a Saturday. And we crunched the numbers, and I had taken out a loan at the bank uh, to pay all of the bands lo and behold, when the bands play, they want to get paid. So I had to pay them. But the thought was we'll get the ticket sales and then we'll have the money and then we can pay the bank back in 30 days. No big deal. So we're three days into the loan, four days into the loan. It was on Tuesday and we crunched the numbers and we were just $11,000 in the hole. Just a small Toyota. And uh, my sister in that moment, of course, she had not been in the presence of God when God told me, this is what I want you to do, said, we need to call the cavalry. we need to tell everybody, let's get everybody on board, and we'll get you that money, and I said, no, let's, let's just wait. Let's just wait. Let's just see what God's gonna do. And I was a little bit nervous even saying that, but I felt so clearly that God had told me to start this thing, and why would God leave us in the hole? It was on a Tuesday. Wednesday, I was sitting in my office and a member of this church who's here today came to me and said, that was awesome. Our kids love that. We love that. We wanna make sure you do it again next year. Had no idea we were in the red and they wrote me a check for $1,500. I'm sorry. uh, I'm trying to do the math in my head. $2,500, $2,500, which was awesome. So now we're just 8,500 in the hole. So I called my sister and I said, you're not gonna believe this, we just got a check for $2,500. And uh, it was pretty cool. And then my sister called me later that day, that evening, and she was crying. And, uh, or, or, no, I, t- I take that back. I'm, I'm messing the story, I'm messing my own story up. So, so she's telling, she had some new neighbors. This is what happened. She had some new neighbors and they were going to their neighbor's house just to welcome them to the neighborhood. Just to say, hey, we're glad that you're here. Here's some cookies or whatever. And she she was on the phone with me. That's what happened. She was on the phone with me when we got the $2,500. And so she starts kind of crying because God's good. And so the neighbor said, is everything okay? And she said, oh yeah, everything is good. My brother put on this festival and we ended up being in the red and somebody just randomly gave us $2,500. And she said, your brother put that on? She said, our sons went to that event and they gave their lives to Jesus at that event. And so without knowing my sister, without knowing me, just meeting her, wrote her a check for $1,000. Was it $1,000? $1,000, yeah, $1,000. $1,000. I didn't even know who we are. So now we're 3,500 towards the 11,000. We're getting a little better. And, uh, and then there was another gentleman that came in and uh, he, he knew, he just knew. He had already been a sponsor, but he said, I just know you didn't end up in where you wanted it to be. And so he wrote me another check. He'd already given some money, but he wrote 3,000 more dollars on Thursday. So I'm $4,500 in the hole, but I told God I'm not doing this again unless we make a dollar. A profit of dollars. So we're $4,500, but I I can sell some stuff. I'll figure out a way. I can come up with (laughs) $4,500. Friday morning, I'm in my office, and a gentleman that lives in this community who is an atheist came to my office. And I know him, and I know he's an atheist. He's a businessman. And he knocked on my door, and I opened the door, and... uh, he said, are you the one who put that Christian thing on this weekend? And I thought, oh dear, here we go. <laughs> I did, I thought he was just gonna rip me up one side and down the other. And I said, yes sir. I didn't really know him that well. And he goes, well, I don't believe that in your God. I don't believe a loving God. I mean, he just starts going off into why he's an atheist. And I just thought, where are you going with this? And then he said, but what you did for our community was cool, you filled our hotels up, you filled our restaurants up. And I just wanna, I wanna help you out. And he took out his checkbook, and he wrote a check for $4,500, the exact amount that we were out. Not 5,000, not 4,000, $4,500. And I'm sitting there going, you are funny paying this off with atheist money. That is hilarious to me! <laughs> of, like, really? And I was speechless, I didn't even know what to say. I was, I was so in awe of the moment. And it was years later that I finally told him, hey, I know you don't believe in God, but God used you in a mighty way. Let me tell you why. I mean, of all the numbers he could have written, of all the numbers, he had no idea. $4,500. And Eddie Hedges was the president of West Texas State Bank at the time. And I'm telling him this amazing God story. And he gave me a dollar. He goes, you made a dollar, do it again. (laughs) So cool. So cool. But even when you don't see it, don't base your life on the scene, base it on the unseen. I didn't see it, and in three days time, God said, I got it. And over the course of the next five years, we saw 1,600 people put their faith in Jesus for the very first time through a music festival. Amen. So all I'm saying is dream big dreams because that was a pretty big dream. And I talked to businessmen saying, oh, we have tried things like that before, it'll never work. And it worked, it worked because we put our faith in a big God who does big things. Don't base your life on the scene. Base it on the unseen things God has spoken to you. Walk by faith, not by sight. And all the people of Colonial Hill said a big amen. amen. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I want to pray with you right where you're at. No moving around just for one second. God is dealing with people. I just want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for the precious, incredible congregation that you've entrusted to me. These dear people that I love so very much. I pray today, God, that they would never buy into the lie that they are a nobody, that their life doesn't matter, it doesn't count. God, for every person who came and discouraged because they feel underappreciated or unnoticed, God, I pray you'd stir something in them right where they are to give them their best in their place of obscurity, to give attention to the details, to the little things, and God, to trust you and believe you for great things and ask for the supernatural, God, I thank you for the great call you have on every one of the lives in these rooms. I, I, I fan it aflame the dreams, the passions, God, as we get close to you and as we take next steps and as we walk, not by what our eyes see, but what our heart sees, God, you're going to do just that, not for our glory, but for yours alone. Encourage the people today, I pray. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor Reed, I've, I've never put my faith in Jesus You're talking about this this faith. I've never done that. I don't know if something were to happen to me, if I were to be taken in a chariot of fire today, I don't know what my destination would be. I, I don't know that I know that I know that I'm saved. And I wanna pray for you in a minute because that's a promise. We're talking about promises of God. That's a promise that happens today, instantaneously. The moment that you put your faith in him, it's settled, and there's people in the room that need that. And I want to pray for you in that moment. So again, every head bowed, every eye closed. The TV cameras are not on me right now. I want you just to say, that, that's me, Reed. I want to know who, you're, who I'm praying for. So if you just slip your hand up and say, that's me, Reed. Would you pray for me? Would you include me in this prayer? Hands up all over the room. I see you. Awesome. 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 Hands down. Okay, if you raise your hand, just pray something like this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to die for me for my sins, that you were buried, and that you rose again, beating death, beating hell, and giving me the power to do the same by putting my faith in you. Lead my life, I surrender it to you today. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for being my savior. Thank you for being my Lord. I love you, Jesus, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's the beautiful thing. Romans ten nine says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you just did that, congratulations, you're saved. Come on, church family. Let's congratulate those who just put their faith in Jesus. Come on. That's awesome. That is so much fun. Here's what I love. Here's what I love. If, if you just made that decision, I want you to take out your cell phone. I know it's kind of weird because you know I told you to raise your hand in private. Maybe you come down and tell me personally. I'll be standing here at the front in just a moment. I would love to receive you and celebrate that with you. I will, I will click my heels together like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. You don't think I can? Big boy can jump, okay? I'll do it for you if you come down and tell me I trusted Jesus, you will see a show, okay? Listen, but maybe you say, I don't want to do that. Now, the cameras are not on you, but I know there's 300 people in the room and that's tough. And so what I'd love for you to do is I'd love for you to take your cell phone, and we're gonna keep this this slide up until the end of service, and just act like you're texting your mama. Nobody has to know. I just want you to text the word SAVED to 325-221-3001. 325-221-3001. Just text one word SAVED. You're gonna get a text back that's just gonna ask for three questions, your name, your email, something else. I can't remember, I'm sorry. Just three simple questions. Your blood type. No, I don't remember. Something simple. Just contact information. Just so that we can come back this week and and help you with your next step. That's really all. Because you place your faith in Jesus. I raised my hand. And some of you have done that in the last couple of weeks. And I I don't know that. I don't know you. And so I'd love for you to text SAVED to 325-221-3001. And you're going to get a text back saying, hey, thank you. And then we're going to follow up with you this week. And we're not going to make it a big showy deal. I just want to know who you are so that I can help you take your next step spiritually. I'm a next steps kind of guy and you took your first step. Let's help you take the next one. And so if that's you and you place your faith in Jesus recently and you've not taken any other steps since you raised your hand in that moment, text that word saved to that number and let's follow up with you.